0: I'm presently looking for somebody for a position located in Mexico, not New Mexico, but in Mexico, and they will hire anybody on the planet, on the planet, and relocate them there. Wow. So I wind up uh, almost having to translate resumes so I can read them <laughs> because they're written in another language. Yeah. So yes, it is truly a global workforce. I don't care if you agree with it or you don't agree with it. That don't matter. Yeah. It is. That
1: was Steve Young, executive recruiter extraordinaire, speaking about the global world that now exists for job recruiters and those looking for jobs, which is our focus on today's episode, episode number 55 of Looking Forward. Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to discuss the large and ever-changing world of executive recruiting and offer some tips you may need to help you find a good job. In part one of this two-part series, We'll cover such things as how an executive recruiter works, how that's changed over the past few decades, and what impact COVID-19 has had on the world of the recruiter and the job seeker. Speaking of the job seeker, our guest expert will provide a few tips on what your resume needs to do to attract the interest of an executive recruiter. Next time, in part two of this series, We'll speak more about how you can attract the attention of an executive recruiter, what the future of executive search work and job hunting might look like, and how you can best pursue potential job or career opportunities. To help us learn about all this, we've brought on a highly seasoned executive recruiter. He's Steve Young. Steve Young founded his executive search firm in 1986 and began working directly with manufacturing, distribution, agribusiness, and assorted other industries to find, qualify, and submit resumes to be considered for open positions all over North America. That is 35 years of finding and placing highly qualified talent with Fortune 500 companies. Steve is an active member of a private global recruiters network called the National Personnel Associates that allows certified search firms to work cooperatively. Over 500 global search firms share their positions and candidates with each other to collaborate and place candidates into open positions all over the globe. Steve reviews over 100 profiles and resumes of candidates daily for active positions he is trying to find talent for that will fit the profile, position, Compensation range and location, he is given by a hiring company or partnering search firm to be considered. As a distraction from that daily grind of searching for people, Steve has reached past recruiting and has accomplished a little in the entertainment industry, too. He is a professional voiceover artist, recording audiobooks, national commercials, and movie trailers. He is a film actor and has been in multiple videos including one with Tim McGraw, television commercials, and was the lead actor in a Pure Flix SAG feature film in 2019. Steve resides on his family farm in western Kentucky and sees his horses out of his window, working from his home office. Steve says, life is short. Always reach past your comfort zone and challenge yourself. Hi, Steve. Welcome to Looking Forward.
0: Hello. Nice to meet you.
1: Well, it's nice to meet you. We've got a great topic we're going to talk about, and you are the expert for sure. I mean, you've been doing it long enough, Steve, let's face it, right? I
0: don't know if there's such a thing as an expert or not, but we'll pretend for a while. How about that?
1: Yeah, you can pretend during this particular conversation. Now, Steve, among other things, you're a recognized recruitment and talent acquisition leader. I would appreciate it if you would tell me and tell our listeners how, when, and why you became involved in the recruitment field.
0: (laughs) Well, way back once upon a time in about 1986, I kept being approached by employees that worked for me about, you know, they really needed help with a resume or they wanted to do something different was asking my advice on making career changes. So I thought, wow, that sounds like it may be something that people would respect what I would say. So I did some research and determined I was going to open a a business first called Career Counseling Inc. to work with them on counseling for their careers, resume development, interview skills. Did all that. That quickly evolved into a search firm, not just a counseling firm. Mm. And uh, the business continued to evolve. And uh, then I guess in about oh, 1990, I joined a, a a global search network of independent search firms just like mine. And that opened up a lot of doors because 500 search firms located all over the globe, work together cooperatively, kind of like a realtor, you know, two realtors, one's got the house, one's got the buyer and they put the two together. Well, in this situation, two recruiters, one's got the job and has the client who wants them to help find that person. The other recruiter's got the candidate or is looking for the candidate and the two recruiters work together. And guess what? Everybody wins. Somebody gets a job, somebody gets their position filled. So that's kind of how it all began and has been evolving ever since.
1: Yes, and I love that concept and I like the idea that you're giving us the analogy of the real estate industry. Quick follow-up question. When you were being approached by your employees to give them some guidance, what was your business at that point?
0: <laughs> well, I've done several things in my life, but I was I was in sales and marketing and uh, these were sales reps that knew that I wasn't going to fire them just because they were trying to better themselves. So they had a lot of potential. And so I was advising them, or it was their wife or their husband, and, you know, that he really needs a job. Can you look at his resume and tell me, is, is there something wrong? You know, and if I can help someone better themselves, you know, I'm blessed. And so that's that's the kind of what is part of the enjoyment of recruiting is that I can take an individual and help them find a better opportunity, more money, different location, maybe get out of a toxic environment and work for a company that's growing. And, uh, you know, I've changed their life in some respect. And so, I yeah, I do it for to make money, but I also do it because I care about people.
1: Yes. And I think that the business that you're in does offer that great opportunity of helping people, of conversing with people. And you have to have people skills to do that and i can tell steve that you have people skills so it's definitely a good fit for you now steve the show is called looking forward because we tend to look ahead but we're not going to do that just yet we like to look a little bit backwards first to create some context you've been in this business for like 35 years right i afraid so <laughs> okay okay So I'm wondering if you can give our listeners a snapshot view of what changes or trends we've seen in the world of recruitment and talent acquisition over the past few decades, because you've been there. Now, Steve, I'm talking about right up until COVID hit us around the start of 2020. We'll get into COVID after that. So can you please help us with that?
0: But to begin with, this is probably a book you've asked me to give you in a short answer. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> understand, I began recruiting in the recruitment industry before internet was invented. Wow. Yes. I, I'm as old as a disciple, obviously, but believe it or not, in the in the mid-80s, internet was just kind of, what is that thing? I'm not too sure if I want to do that or not, and I got to pay by the minute to play. Yes. So I don't know. And I learned how to recruit from uh, books, uh, from uh, and, and recruited from from magazines. I went to the library, uh, all those things that we did as we were looking for people to fill positions. And by the way, the recruitment industry has been around since Jesus walked this earth, as they were looking for people to help do things. And somebody went out to find that worker to work for this person. So this is an, a very old industry. Yeah. It's just evolved. And what's one of the things that's changed, I guess, is that when Internet was invented, something called job boards came around. Well, what's that? Uh, That's where jobs are listed. Well, I always went to the newspaper, right? That's where they were. Well, that didn't happen anymore, does it? As Internet changed the world and the recruiting industry, recruiting evolved as well. Uh, Those job boards and, and places where maybe you could put a profile, something called LinkedIn, where you could list who what you did. You might not be looking for a job, but you wanted the world to know kind of where you worked and what you did. In case you happen to want to change jobs, here I am. And so all these things have, have evolved all the way up to COVID of how you look for a job, how you promote yourself for a job, and then also how you present yourself for the job. All these things have changed and evolved over the last 35 years and Lord knows what it's going to look like 35 years from now, it's going to be a little different too. So that's some of the changes that's occurred.
1: If you could go back for a minute to the 80s when you started, I'm curious as to how did the executive recruiter or recruitment industry function? How were you finding people? How were you connecting with other people? I can remember back in that day, you had to pick up a phone, right? You picked up a phone, you called people, you had to mail things. Was it tough to do that sort of
0: thing, comparatively speaking, to when the internet came around and LinkedIn and so forth, Steve? I remember the first time I ever used a fax machine. I thought that was amazing. That was rocket science. A fax. Wow. But no, recruiters use something called SEC books or excuse me, S-I-C, not e, SIC books. And these are the codes that all industries are categorized into, manufacturing, distribution, and what they've made by product and all these things. And let's say a company called me that made rubber bands. So I'm looking for other companies with the same S-I-C code as that rubber band company, looking for a new director of this or that. And I identify them by these big books with these S-I-C codes and then start calling these companies Asking for somebody to talk to by a title, and I got a hold of the same title of the person I was trying to recruit for on the other side of the country by a company who made something else out of rubber—not maybe maybe not bands, but they made some out of rubber. Sure. And so I would then try to recruit that person. Sometimes we'd call the guard shack in the middle of the night and say, "Hey, I was talking to this guy. I can't remember his name. He does such and such. What's his name again? And uh, can you let me hook hook me up so I can leave him a message?" And he'd say, "Oh, that was." John Jones, ah, John Jones. That's who he was. Let me leave you a message. <laughs> Guess what? You just got a name and the guy that did it and yeah. the card gave it to you at nine o'clock at night. There was all kinds of ways that, that recruiters did this business. So we went to the library. We researched. I remember one of the biggest searches I ever had was from a $3 billion client of mine. That's how big B. Wow. And this was in the early nineties and they actually had purchased a formula one race car. And they asked me to find a new front end suspension engineer to re-engineer the suspension of their formula one race car. That was in Italy at the time. Wow. And I went and found magazines and read articles about who does this stuff and finally found a name and guess what? There again, internet hadn't gotten going yet. So I finally determined by writing a letter to this guy. Uh, whom might be interested, and he wrote back, and then we faxed, and then I have his resume. And that's how I found this guy. It took three months to do. Wow. And the uh, final moments of this process, they canceled the job because of a downturn in their particular industry. So everything I had done, I didn't get paid for. Wow. One of the best searches I ever did. So the search industry is really intriguing and challenging. And it's about finding a person that fits the profile and they want the company and the company wants them. And you make a marriage and everybody lives happily ever after and you get paid, hopefully. Yeah,
1: Yeah, it really is like a marriage. A couple other follow-up questions, Steve. You mentioned the global network that works together and you likened it to realtors. When did that come about? That was a development over the last several decades, right? Or was that around for a long time?
0: That's been around since the uh, the seventies. It's the oh. National Personnel Associates or NPA. They were one of the first uh, global networks like that, and I joined that in uh, again I think nineteen ninety, uh, and I have made let's call it a split placement where again the two firms work together. Uh, I'm in the top ten percent of over five hundred search firms globally of the numbers of people that I have placed using this method. Correct. So. You can either do it all on your own, or you can do it cooperatively with another search firm.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a great idea, and it was born in the 70s. One thing that I have noticed over the last several decades pre-COVID is when I was in my own business back in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, you used to have what they were first called was personnel people. You had the American Society for Personnel Administration. Now it's HR something or other. Have you seen changes over the years with the role that the HR department plays as you're going about your work, Steve? Are they a help? Are they a hindrance? How does that all play into what's happened over the last several decades?
0: Well, the personnel manager's job, now human resource manager's job, slash, 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 (laughs) yes, has evolved immensely. The certifications they have to have and the duties they have. Uh, Once upon a time, the personnel manager was also the environmental manager, which was also the payroll manager, which was also, also, also. (laughs) And now all those jobs are separated into specific categories because it requires a specialist in each area. But yes, human resource is a very important part of any company's business uh, of making sure they comply with all the, the, the rules and regulations, of course, but to handle all the insurance benefits and uh, the 401ks and hiring and firing and all those things. And that continues to be a a very important part of who we work with as a recruiter.
1: Okay. So you do work with them still. Okay. Steve, one other question here with the introduction of the internet, which occurred during this period we're reflecting back on, have you seen a greater number of people come into the recruiting industry, talent acquisition industry, such that it has become more competitive? Is that a change? Or is in fact the opposite happened, that there are fewer people who are doing what you do and it's not as competitive or somewhere in between? Could you comment on
0: that, please? It's always been competitive. Some of the changes that I see are there is now internal corporate recruiting staffs that companies will hire to do what we do is outside independent firms. They want to do it in-house. Interesting. So they don't have to pay our fee, obviously. And so they try to replicate us, but by a person that works directly for them and they pay them a salary of some kind. I also see a new generation of search people, recruiters that have gotten into the industry, millennials, if you will, and they approach the industry a little different than some of the old timers like me. I'm old school, so to speak. I actually talk on the phone. Some of the new millennials won't do that. Wow. It's all, uh, all electronically driven. It's either a text or an email, and don't bother me because I don't have time to talk. Wow. And, and that's okay, obviously. <laughs> yeah. It's just different. And yeah. so to answer your question is yes there's it's still highly competitive yes people still get into it and it's obviously always evolving and we can get into the new ways of using artificial intelligence for searching for candidates weeding out resumes that didn't exist until a few years ago but it's uh, to answer your question yes it's growing and it is a it's a very interesting and challenging discipline or job to have as to be a recruiter.
1: Yeah. And I want to just jump in on that last comment, because I have to tell you, one of the things that I've been struck by, Steve, and not in a positive way, is how difficult it now can be for an individual, whether they're a business customer or prospect or a consumer, to actually get to speak to a human being on the phone.
0: Try calling customer service, see if you get a human being. Yeah, there there
1: you go. There you go. We have, and the number actually may be going up, but I would say 20%, possibly 25% of our listeners, Steve, don't live in the United States. And I noted that you had mentioned the global network of recruiters who work together collaboratively, which I think is a wonderful thing. So what I'd like you to comment on for the benefit of our global listeners, those who would live outside of the United States, What you've spoken about in terms of the evolution of the recruitment and talent acquisition business since about the time you began up to pre-COVID, pretty much the same, or do they do things differently in Canada, Mexico, Europe, or elsewhere?
0: The base way of recruiting is the same, but it's accomplished in several different ways. Let me give you an illustration. Firstly, I partnered with one of my fellow members of my recruitment uh, network in Canada. That person had a position to fill in Australia and asked me to assist. Now, positions in Australia, firms in Canada, I'm in the States. I find a person in North Africa for the position. Wow. This is global, so, Steve. <laughs> so, my person in North Africa sends it to me. I send it to the person in Canada, which sends it to the hiring company in Australia, and they hire them. That didn't exist that type of global recruiting didn't exist until about a, about 10 years ago or so wow now things that are important if you're in another country and you're looking to to maybe change countries or go somewhere that you would you know you always wanted to work in you know somewhere in in, in North America but it's not where you live or you're in Japan and you'd really like to go to uh, wherever that is It's important, I think, that you list your citizenship status on your resume because I can't tell you how many uh, resumes I look at. I'm not too sure if they're, let's say, a U.S. citizen or if they have a green card, if they're, you know, what is their citizenship status? And my client company will not sponsor uh, an H-1B visa, won't do it, period. And so if they don't have citizenship or a green card, I'm wasting everybody's time because this person, they're not going to hire them. I don't care if they've invented what they do. They won't hire yes. them because they're not going to sponsor them.
1: Yes.
0: So it's, I think, listing your citizenship status on your resume. I think being able to correlate what you do in Europe that might also be the same type of, of a process being used in the States. The buzzwords of the industry are very important because, Titles and things are very nebulous because something that's being done in this industry may be called something totally different in that industry, but it's the same job, but it has a different title. Good point. But by so by describing what it is that you do, then it can be ascertained that it is the same title, even though it's not called the same, because if you did it in the chemical industry and you're working in the uh, textile industry, they call that same job something else that the chemical industry calls something different.
1: Okay. And this uh, business about the international recruitment, so that really began Mm -hmm. to take root about ten years ago. Steve, do you find that that happens a lot more now?
0: It happens all the time, especially in a global network, because you've got we have affiliates in uh, in Asia that work with company or search firms in Germany that work with search firms in uh, in uh, Italy that work with search firms in uh, Mexico. I'm presently looking for somebody for a position located in Mexico, not New Mexico, but in Mexico, and they will hire anybody on the planet, on the planet, and relocate them there. Wow. So I wind up uh, almost having to translate resumes so I can read them <laughs> because they're written in another language. Yeah. So yes, it is truly a global workforce. I don't care if you agree with it or you don't agree with it. That don't matter. Yeah. It is. Boy, that's a big change, Steve, I guess,
1: that you've seen in your time doing this. Yes. I want to move forward to COVID. We know that COVID has had a dramatic impact on the working world. And I'm wondering, Steve, if you could share with us your perspectives on one impact COVID-19 has had on recruiters, on job seekers, and those who might want to hire them.
0: I'll summarize that question with one word. Remote.
1: Remote. <laughs> okay.
0: If it existed, it was like hidden under a rock somewhere until COVID <laughs> came around. Yeah. And so they had to, you know, roll the rock over and say, well, maybe this job could be remote and you can do this from home. Where before yeah. it's no way. They didn't have a choice when COVID happened. Yeah. If you wanted to keep your workers, you let them work from home. And surprise, surprise, they were productive. Surprise, surprise, it worked much to the dismay of many employers and a dislike to many employers because they want you right there where they can watch you and micromanage you. And don't you dare, you know, do this from home because I can't criticize you all the time if you're not under my nose. Yes. And so when productivity worked and when jobs that I don't know how they did this from home, but they do worked. <laughs> it changed the workforce. It'll never go back to the way it was. And we have a lot of people now who do not want to ride that commuter train for an hour and a half to downtown Chicago when they can do it from their their office in their house and Zoom meet with their coworkers and everything gets done. And they save three hours a day on a train. Yeah. Why would you want to go do that again?
1: Exactly. So from the standpoint of you as an executive recruiter. How does that affect you and those in your business, Steve? (laughs) I understand the job seekers now would be more inclined to ask to work remotely, or maybe even in some cases demand it, and that the employers are going to have to be more accommodating to that, because as you pointed out, it's working for the most part, employees are still productive. Does it have any impact on you and the people in your industry?
0: absolutely <laughs> i will have a position to fill that's a director of this responsible for this that whatever the title is and the hiring company wants them there and people that i find that can do it say i'd be glad to do it but remotely and the hiring company says nope not a remote job mm-hmm. and the candidate says too bad won't take it only won't wow. talk to you and so there is a huge huge shortage of employees out there today. One of the reasons, not all of them, but one of the reasons is because those employees have decided they're not going to go do that at someone else's place of business. They're going to do it from their home and they will find a company that will, and they will hire them for that. And the company that refuses it sooner or later, they'll be forced to come around and offer that as a remote job, whether they like it or not, because they're not going to find, you know, Susie or Sam that's going to fit it, even though they may wait around for six months looking for it, Susie or Sam's gone to work somebody else already.
1: Wow. Does it make it <clears> any harder for you then to place people, or is it really no different?
0: makes it harder. It's it hard. I wind up looking much longer for qualified candidates that are willing to do that. I'm searching for something right now that's 75 to 100% travel. Wow. And it is a uh, regional sales type job covering five states already talked to 20 people who would love to do it, but is not willing to drive and travel 75, hundred percent. Not going to do it. Not for any amount of money. Not going to do it. Yeah. So I'm going on now the second month of searching for this position that should have been filled, but the travels, what is the problem. So is it a fair
1: statement to say, Steve, and we'll get into the future here in a little bit, but is it a fair statement to say that a dramatic impact of COVID you talked about remote. Also, there's been a shift in the power between employers and employees, and employees are starting to leverage their own clout by saying, I ain't going to do that. Is that an overstatement, or do you see like a power shift
0: here? There's some truth to what you just said. Who's going to win that war? I'm not sure. Obviously, somebody's got to pay somebody or nobody makes a living. Yes, Uh, Somebody's got to show up and do this job or you can't get it done. So it's, it's kind of like a, almost a union negotiation of who's going who's gonna to get the better end of the stick. Maybe there's a compromise there somewhere. So I can't definitively answer your question other than you know, ask me that five years from now and I'll tell you what the answer was.
1: Okay, okay. Before we get into the future, as an expert in your field, I would love for you to give our job hunting listeners, and they may not yet be job hunting listeners, but they might be soon or a year from now, a few tips on what they need to do to maximize their chances of having someone like you work with them and even better, Steve, to get hired. You've learned a lot of stuff from your experience over the years. Things have evolved, as you pointed out. So as of today, you were sitting down with somebody, So you had the opportunity to do what you did years ago when you were first getting interested in this, when people would come to you. What are some really good nuggets that you would share with somebody in this regard?
0: I guess first time I would have to say is uh, allowing yourself to be seen by people that are searching for you. Uh, And that is exposure, uh, LinkedIn profiles, uh, your Facebook profiles. Caveat to that is that, by the way, most of the time, an employer will go find you on Facebook and see, well, what kind of words do you use? Uh-huh. What, what kind of posts do you make? Uh, do you fit the kind of person that I want to work for me or not? So what you put on Facebook, it's not private. You may think it's your diary, but trust me, everybody's looking at it, including the person who may or may not make you an offer. Secondly, is that your resume is is the autobiography of what you've done and what it is that you wish to do. And your experience in the past is really a key to unlocking doors for the future. Utilizing the right words, the right type of resume. Let's call the words buzzwords. Words that that, uh, are relatable to your craft, your discipline, your job, and your industry. And also how you present that resume in the accomplishments and contributions you have made into the employer or past employers that you're working for now or in the past and how do those accomplishments and contributions fit to what this new employer may want to see make sure that you list those and don't overlook them if you're a sales manager i may want to know how many sales people did you manage i may want to know what the annual budget was that you were responsible for and what type of dollar did you bring in on an annual basis in your division? If you're an HR person, I may wanna know how many people were you over? Was it a union or non-union facility? Are you a member of SHRM or not a member of SHRM? Are you uh, someone who's a negotiating person for union negotiations? Or are you the person in the back room that's doing all the hiring and firing? I wanna know all these things. So if you're too brief on your resume and you don't list that, you're just listing the highlights And you leave out these buzzwords and all these things that a recruiter is drilling deep into that document to see you are short circuiting yourself. You see, they use it now in the future. It's going to be even more. So it's called artificial intelligence or AI for short. Yes. A human being won't even look at your resume. It'll be scanned through a scanner and a computer will read it, looking for certain words and the certain words are not there. You'll never get called ever. So you better have those buzzwords. And those things in there that bring you to the surface, because again, it's coming. i got, I have affiliates. Now that use this software. They never speak to a candidate. Wow. Never speak to them. They'll wow. run it through their AI software, their software then sends them uh, an email or a text, God forbid a phone call. Cause you know, you'll die if you use the phone. So they'll, <laughs> they will send them an email or a text and then get a response. And they may never speak to that person ever. Until they and then they submit them to the, to the client for consideration. The client says, well, what do they sound like? And you're going to say, well, I don't know. I never talked to a guy. Why should I do that? Because wow. your AI software did it all for you. Wow. That's where it's going. And so you better have a really good document, especially as this AI software in this process gets more and more utilized, not just by the employer, but by the recruiter.
1: This concludes part one of our two-part series on executive recruiting and job seeking, with our executive recruiting guest expert, Steve Young. Please join us again soon for part two of this series, which can be found on Red Circle, where the podcast hosting site you use. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, Jeff. Ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F dash Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F dot com This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.